Welcome to Alcohol Across America with your host, Dr. Brad Crever, along with a weekly panel of co-hosts. Our program examines the impact of beverage alcohol on public health and safety, the nation's economy, and American culture. Each week, we discuss current trends and issues. Now, here's your host, Dr. Brad Crever. Welcome to Alcohol Across America, a weekly examination of how alcohol beverages in the industry that produces, distributes, and sells or serves alcoholic beverages impact our lives, our communities, and our economy. This week, co-host Kathy Durbin and Mark Willingham will join me in a conversation about alcohol and the community. First, let me introduce Kathy Durbin of the Montgomery County, Maryland Department of Alcohol Control and also a responsible retailing forum board member. Hello, Kathy. Hello, Brad. Um, thanks for inviting me to be part of the Voice America Across America Alcohol Across America series. I've been listening to the programs and they've been interesting and informative. Today, I will be focusing on keeping communities safe by preventing drunk driving and over-service of alcohol. And let me set the context for this. Agencies like Kathy's across the country have worked hard and long to prevent alcohol sales to anyone under the age of 21, and they've done this through compliance checks with underage decoys. Our own work at the Responsible Retailing Forum is centered on ways to supplement and reinforce law enforcement by providing licensees with feedback on actual staff conduct when a young but legal age mystery shopper asks to buy or be served alcohol. This work has been very successful, and we hope to present some of these strategies and projects in the future. But wherever we've conducted our over eight, uh, underage sales prevention programs, we would hear from both law enforcement and from licensees themselves that an even bigger problem was intoxicated customers. Or at least that's how many licensees describe the problem. Law enforcement and regulation have a different way of describing the problem. And Kathy, that way is... Overservice. Um, it's against the law for a person in a licensed establishment to sell or serve to anyone they believe to be intoxicated. So it's a violation. Um, in Montgomery County, um, a license can be revoked. Uh, initial fines go from $1,000 um, per event uh, up to $20,000, and uh, they can also be suspended. So um, the uh, the term is used when a patron appears to be overserved, but unfortunately, it's really not that simple. Uh, we have other issues that come into play. In today's world, we have people drinking uh, at an early age, younger and younger, it seems. And so uh, tolerance levels, um, the tolerance rates have changed a little bit. So people don't look intoxicated when they might be. Um, they don't show those signs of intoxication that many of us were trained to um, observe. And uh, you also have people pre-gaming before they go out. So um, it really is a, an issue for uh, many people selling and serving alcohol. Could you explain what you mean by pre-gaming? Uh, pre-gaming would be, um, well, typically you, you think of college students maybe hanging out before the football game and drinking before they get into the game uh, so that they can have a head start. But everyone's doing it now, um, maybe to save some money or friends are meeting before they go out at night um, to a restaurant. They might meet at somebody's house and have a couple drinks first before they even go out to the business and um, even enjoy a meal. 
responsible retailing forum has been working with Montgomery County and with the Oregon Liquor Control Commission to develop an approach that addresses over-service. Kathy, would you describe that project for us? Sure. Um, so a few years back, we uh, worked with, partnered with the Responsible Retailing Forum, and we visited 42 businesses in the county, and uh, they were uh, visited by actors. They were two paid actors who pretended to be intoxicated um, at two different levels. Um, so one was uh, intoxicated and showed signs of intoxication. The other one was extremely intoxicated. We're talking, you know, not being able to walk properly, really visible signs of intoxication and um, researchers and the whole team were specifically looking to see if the establishment sold alcohol to the already intoxicated individuals and what if any interventions were taken at all by the the business Um, unfortunately in Montgomery County um, we had the extremely uh, intoxicated customers served 90% of the time which breaks down to 38 out of 42 businesses. And um, then we had the um, somewhat um, intoxicated individual was served 90% of the time. So it was a shocking rate, um, and we were very surprised to see that there were no interventions taken. It was pretty remarkable. Um, And I think the only thing that made Oregon feel better about their results is that they weren't quite so high in (laughs) over-service rate as in Montgomery County. That's true. Um, So uh, describe exactly what was happening in the program with the mystery shoppers. Okay, so um, with the um, mystery shoppers, um, when we went back and we met with the businesses afterwards, after the event, and um, we had the managers and the um, uh, licensees or license holders come in and meet with us as many as could to see uh, what the video looked like, what the actual intoxicated individual or that person that was uh, modeling intoxication looked like. And they really um, were astounded. They were saying, there's no way my staff would have ever sold or um, served a person that looked like that. So we saw that there was a true disconnect in communications um, and also in staff training. So where the person who might ha- hold a license that might not even be there on a daily basis. Uh, they had their thoughts. Uh, the people that were actually doing the serving or in the business at any time did not um, make that connection. So um, we just sat with those businesses and did what, did a, a, a plan of attack. How can we train people? Um, most of them were still in, a little bit in denial. They couldn't believe it happened. But we did work with those businesses and, and train the businesses. But as you know, it's a high turnover. So some of it's a culture uh, change as well. And may I interject here that uh, uh, even before we worked with you in Montgomery County, we had done some local experiments with this, just formative research uh, in um, Waltham, Massachusetts, where Brandeis University is located and and the Responsible Retailing Forum is an offshoot of Brandeis University, or began there at least. And so we were sending in actors exhibiting signs of extreme intoxication. And when we contacted the licensees later, they would get back to us and say, well, I spoke to my bartender. And and what we hear is all this revisionist history where, oh, uh, uh, the bartender said uh, he didn't think the person was drunk. He thought he had a physical disability or, or things like, well, uh, 
we just thought he was being arrogant or noisy or things like that. Uh, so we actually wound up changing the protocols. And by the time we were working with you, we would have the actor come in and say something like, boy, I've been drinking tequilas all night. What kind of tequila do you have? Just to self-identify as having been drinking extensively because the licensees themselves, it's not so much they themselves, but their their staff was giving them a story that was just totally contrary to to. The, the context we had created for them and the actual situation we had established. So um, it's, it's very different from them. It's very new. Yeah. Um, so um, would you describe what uh, Montgomery County and, and the Department of Liquor Control is doing now as a result of um, identifying this really deep issue with overservice? Yeah, it is a, you're you're right. It's a deep issue. Um, so we have a training here. It's a it's a free training. It's alcohol law education and regulatory training. We actually expanded that training um, to the businesses for the whole community to ha- start having these conversations and talk to the businesses um, during the trainings uh, and ask what they do. Start those conversations. Um, what do you do when a person comes into your business and they be, appear to be intoxicated, even if you haven't sold um, or served them? It's their responsibility. Once they sit at their um, register at their counter or at the table, uh, they need to start um, paying attention. So we have conversations with the businesses. We've been trying to pull some of the models um, that businesses here have been using, and and they've been quite inventive. So um, having those conversations are usually the the difficult part. We recently unveiled a, a new campaign as well, um, partnering with the local police, and it's called "I Take It Personally" campaign, and it's it's really designed to, um, again, have that conversation that this is everyone's responsibility. It's not just the server's responsibility. Um, For the manager, they could take it personally by identifying effective policies to deal with a customer that's showing signs of intoxication or even preventing those drink promotions that lead to higher alcohol consumption. Um, The patron can take it personally by planning their night out, um, making use of the safe ride home programs, using a designated driver. So everybody has a piece of this. And um, so I really love that we're just beginning to scratch the surface with this campaign. Mm -hmm. Just bringing... um the issue of over-service to the attention of licensees, I think in and of itself makes a difference. When we were doing this in, in Waltham before coming to you, um, as we were developing these concepts, we had done the first round of uh, pseudo-intoxicated mystery shops, working with the captain of, of alcohol enforcement in the Waltham Police Department. And we got very, very horrific results as you did. And we sent out communications and we were talking to licensees. And we went back to to a second round of these pseudo-intoxicated mystery shops. And our actor went into a, a Chinese restaurant on Main Street in Waltham and asked to be served while stammering and stuttering and swaying and such. And, and the waitress said, oh, I'm sorry, sir, we can't serve you. There's a new law in Waltham. <laughs> As though this had just been created as mm-hmm. a law, it goes back since the inception of the alcohol responsibility laws. Right. What else are you doing, uh, Montgomery County, now to respond to the overservice? I mean, I, I think it just goes back to everything that we're doing is um, is having those conversations. The inspectors, when they go into the business, um, that's one of the things that we have listed when they have a um, uh, regular routine inspection. They go and talk to each business um, because you're always going to get somebody new in that business, somebody different that they're talking to. It might not be the manager, might be the person that's hands-on, asking them what they're doing. Um, and also, we partner 
um, very closely with um, Safe Ride Home programs. Uh, we do it mostly um, over the holiday season, but we try to do it all year round. Uh, so we have industry-sponsored Safe Ride Home programs that we connect to our um, county liquor stores, and people come in to the store and they get a, a free coupon. So the first ride's free. We work with the driver program, which is a um, local program that also drives your car home for you. So um, trying to get across to people that they need to plan the, their night out and that there's resources for that so that, that we can keep people off the road if they've been drinking alcohol. Kathy, would you amplify a little more of what you said about uh, getting a ride home and someone else driving your car? Because one of the problems with uh, safe ride homes for impaired customers is they often get home and then go back out to the <laughs> bar where they had left their car and drive home subsequently intoxicated anyhow. Yeah, it's a very interesting concept, and it's something that um, you have to wrap your mind around a little bit. Um, we actually have tested the, pro- the um, program ourselves here. Um, it's great. A person will actually come and pick up your car. If you didn't plan your night out, you're out, you have an app for the program, um, they will come and get you with another driver, and one driver will follow your car home. They'll drive your car home, and you're in the car, and they'll drive you home, and somebody else will drive your car home. So you don't have to leave your car at that um, at that in that neighborhood or at that um, restaurant, um, or even in a parking garage where it could be towed or something could happen to it. Um, another um, way you can use the program is if you plan your night out from the very beginning. They can, they're almost a limo driver in your car. So it's its really very, um, uh, it's not expensive, and it's a very good program. People haven't been picking up on, on it as much as we would like, but um, it's just another option for people, and uh, it goes back to planning and realizing what you're going to do that evening. Mm-hmm. A little bit later, we're going to be hearing how very differently uh, overconsumption and overservice can play out for an individual in the community, but there are positive ways of, of dealing with it as, as you've been describing. Uh, one thing I wanted to share is that uh, one of our industry partners had sponsored uh, in a very large retailer, not that far from you, Kathy, uh, a designated driver um, promotion, such as you were describing. And there was careful research done with the customers as well. So a number of customers had the opportunity to, to register for a, a, some sort of raffle that would give them uh, use of a designated driver service, such as you were describing. Um, and there was an, um, a, a survey done with the customers who had put in, you know, notification. And the customers expressed that they had a tremendous respect for the licensee who was willing to take these measures, that they expressed a sense of customer loyalty uh, to that retailer. And it was really a positive experience for the licensee. But interestingly, the industry producer, I won't mention its name, but it's one of the very famous brands, had sponsored this as well. And the sale of that uh, particular uh, a whiskey uh, had a double-digit increase during the time of the responsibility promotion. So uh, the, it's not only a safe thing to do, it's something also that customers respect, the public respects, and it can come back uh, uh, as, a, as a real uh, benefit for the licensee who takes those kinds of actions. Um, we're going to um, be joining uh, Kathy and a couple of her guests in just a couple of minutes uh, uh, to talk about further how over-service impacts the community and how the community can respond. This is Brad Crever of Alcohol Across America.
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Responsible Retailing Forum is a leader in the industry, bringing together public and private stakeholders, regulatory and enforcement agencies, attorneys general, public health agencies and producers, and community leaders and researchers in order to identify and promulgate best practices for responsible retailing and engage the stakeholders in examinations of responsible retailing policies. For more information on RR Forum or its partners or how your community can get involved, please visit rrforum.org. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Each week, Larry Sternberg joins Dr. Kim Turnage to explore management issues from culture to discipline in Managing to Make a Difference. Join Talent Plus for 60 minutes of dynamic conversation, including real-life management examples helping you manage teams across the globe. This series airs on Voice America, the business channel, Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. Managing to Make a Difference every Thursday afternoon with Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Alcohol Across America. We'd love to hear from you with questions and comments about our program. Please send an email to crever at rrforum.org. That's K-R-E-V-O-R at rrforum.org. Now back to Alcohol Across America. Welcome back to Voice America Alcohol Across America series. My name is Kathy Durbin, um, and we're fortunate to have two of our local partners as guests on the program today. Kurt Erickson, President and CEO of the Washington Regional Alcohol Program, better known as RAP, and Officer Jeremy Smalley from the Montgomery County, Maryland Police Alcohol Initiative Unit. We'll begin with Officer Smalley. Good afternoon, Jeremy. How are you doing? I'm good. Good afternoon, Kathy. Thank you for uh, having me on the, on the show today. I'm looking forward to it. Um, Jeremy, as you've heard, many of the local businesses did not refuse service to a patron showing obviously obvious signs of intoxication. I'm interested in your take on these results, and could you please describe the type of enforcement efforts currently used to deter drinking and driving in Montgomery County? Uh, I, I did listen, and I did hear the results, and I was, it was unfortunate to hear the, the, the 90% failure rate of, uh, of some of the establishments in Montgomery County. Um, and I can tell you, whereas the police, where we see that is a, a huge problem, is in Montgomery County alone, we arrest over 3,500 people in Montgomery County for DUI every year. Um, and I think a lot of that goes hand in hand with the people are being overserved at the establishments. Um, and it's unfortunate that all the training that the Department of Liquor Control provides for free, these establishments, it, it, hopefully it can be utilized more after they got these results. And they can send their managers and their servers and their uh, bouncers and all their employees at every establishment to the training to recognize what an intoxicated person looks like, 
to recognize like a person that should not be driving a car, should not be served alcohol, and to stop that from happening. And I think that would, in kind, stop a lot of our DUI-impaired driving that we, that we see in this county alone. Um, and as well, some of the partnerships, uh, like we said earlier, that I, I work, we work our unit, the Alcohol Initiative Unit, a specialized unit. We're just focused on alcohol enforcement in Montgomery County. There's about six of us in the unit. Uh, we've been in existence for about 20 years. And one of our biggest partners is, is the Department of Liquor Control, where we do compliance checks uh, throughout the year, where we go in with the inspector and talk to the, the managers and talk to the servers. And we have an underage uh, person as a decoy. They goes in and they try to buy alcohol, and if uh, the server serves, and we we enforce it uh, not only through the police department but also through the Department of Liquor Control um, to stop the, not only the over service but also to stop the underage consumption. Because as you said earlier, um, underage kids uh, don't uh, don't have the tolerance, don't uh, don't really know their limits, and consume a, a lot of alcohol and cause a lot of the problems. Um, we also work very tightly with the state's attorney's office, um, where we do a program called Teen Court. It's where kids that are uh, involved in either underage drinking or are, uh, you know, driving and intoxicated. Uh, they have this diversion program where they get some education. Uh, we we're really big on education. Education is key in preventing this problem and stopping this problem. Where we go in, we talk to these kids of the dangers of drinking, the dangers of underage drinking, the dangers of drinking and driving, and why they shouldn't do it. The other important program that we do is called, uh, that we will go into our health classes in the high schools in Montgomery County. Uh, most kids take health class in 10th grade. Uh, so our unit goes in there uh, in the fall semester and the spring semester, and we talk to probably throughout the day, I would say 300 kids uh, in all the health classes and encourage them not to drink and drive, not to uh, drink underage, and not to uh, uh, abuse other substances, uh, substances such as you know drugs and things like that. Um, through these programs, we work a lot to educate, to enforce, and tell the dangers. And if, at the end, if the if the education and the uh, things like that don't don't happen, we are then on the road at nighttime to prevent the strategies the, the tragedies that happen when people get behind the wheel um, impaired, or people leave uh, restaurants overserved and are too intoxicated to even walk home with the dangers they can get involved in, things that can happen, how they can hurt or how they can hurt people. So we, we pride ourselves on working with the community, on educating the community to make it a better place throughout throughout the county. Mm, that's great. Um, and I'd like to add that because we work so well together and for so many years that um, we do give the same message and, and we use the same language to the businesses and as well when we're speaking with the youth. And um, our programs have the consistent protocols, which I think is uh, really effective. It, the businesses come back and almost apologize at times for um, committing a violation. Um, well, so they say out of tragedy some, comes something good. In December of 2015, a 20 a 24-year-old Montgomery County police officer, Noah Leota, died after he was hit by a drunk driver while conducting anti-drunk driving enforcement. Could you tell us about the partnerships or additional partnerships that have evolved since Officer Leota died and continuing efforts to keep drivers who have been drinking off the roads in the county? Um, and like you said, unfortunately, a tragedy did happen. Um, officer Leota was, was killed in a, by a drunk driver, and that was the drunk driver second time. Um, and his DBAC was a .24, and he was leaving a local establishment in Montgomery County where he was definitely overserved. Um, 
Due to that uh, tragedy, we have worked with uh, Maryland legislation, and we have uh, really increased the uh, interlock laws in Maryland. We, I think we now have the either first or second uh, most uh, stringent interlock law in, in, the, in the country, where if you have any BAC over .08 or if you refuse to take the breath test, you have to have interlock in your vehicle, which is a great deterrent for people that go out to enjoy themselves and then try to drive a car. This prevents them from driving a car. Um, We've also worked with Maryland MAD and with RAP to uh, make Maryland a model for the entire country of how to enforce um, uh, drinking and driving laws to prevent drinking and driving, to basically just make it so people don't do it. Uh, One of our big tools for prevention is uh, we work with the Maryland Highway Safety Office and we do uh, DUI checkpoints where we send out, put a lot of officers on the road. We do about 10 a year, um, and it's basically deterrent. We say that we're out here, we're looking, for, we're looking for this. Be smart, don't do it. We do saturation patrols, so the people that are not really paying attention to what they're doing, they drink too much and their judgment goes out the window, they make the choice to drive a car, we're out there to stop them so they don't kill another person. Um, one of the biggest tragedies is the death that occurs. Unfortunately, we have more than our handful of, of fatalities in the country when it comes to impaired driving. So, like you said, it takes sometimes it takes a tragedy to cause something good, but in our case, uh, Maryland is putting uh, enforcement and prevention education for DUI at the forefront to stop this, and hopefully our number in DUIs will go, long, go down, our numbers of uh, over-service will go down, and our community will be better served for it in the long run. Great. Um, thanks for your time, Jeremy. Um, in reviewing the news clips from the, when this occurred with um, with Noah Leota, the outrage was uh, the outrage that was expressed. It was incredible to hear and to relive that, um, even though it was a couple years ago. I would just hope that the community would continue to be vigilant and take advantage of all the resources made available for a safe night out. Thank I agree you, with you, and I hope they do too. Okay, thanks. And where are you going now? Um, actually, I am in, currently in the middle of a DUI trial in district court, and I had to take a few minutes to come down here and answer this phone call, so I'm going back up to the courtroom to uh, hopefully uh, prosecute the person that was driving uh, well over the legal limit uh, in Maryland. Okay. Well, thank you for your time. We appreciate it, Jeremy. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Um, so that's actually a great lead-in. Um, next, we'll hear from Kurt Erickson. Uh, he's the, Kurt is the president and CEO of the nonprofit Washington Regional Alcohol Program, um, which Jeremy mentioned. Um, we also, it's known as RAP. So good afternoon, Kurt. Kathy, how are you? Thanks for having us on. Sure. Glad to have you. Um, could you please tell us about the mission of RAP? Sure. For those of you that aren't familiar with us, RAP stands uh, WRAP stands for the Washington Regional Alcohol Program, which is a nonprofit organization celebrating its 35th year this year. Actually, we were formed in 1982 uh, to fight drunk driving and underage drinking throughout the greater Washington area, uh, the Washington metropolitan area. And I think if people know us at all um, through those 35 years of, of service, they probably know us through a program that we've done since 1993 called Sober Ride. Uh, which is a free safe ride service to get people home, uh, putting them into uh, now rideshare vehicles, but for years cabs, um, rather than um, having them possibly drive home impaired. Okay, great. And actually, um, we partner by actively promoting the Sober Ride program here in Montgomery County Department of Liquor Control. So you have beautiful flyers for every um, every season, every type every type of holiday event. 
um, and it's been very, very uh, well received. Could you tell us a little bit about some of the results you've seen? Absolutely, and, and it's not just you all, and you guys do a stellar job in doing that. We, we consider that just a, a, a wonderful partnership, but so too is your last guest, Montgomery County Police, um, do a wonderful job of utilizing this service as a community, community policing initiative to tell people about the service, and that's both to individuals, but it's also to um, uh, liquor licensees uh, to say, look, you may not be familiar with this program, but let's get, keep your customers safe, let's get them to come back. Um, and to promote the program accordingly. So um, it's a program, like I said, we started since 1993. Uh, we've had almost 68,000 people utilize this service. In fact, the exact number is 67,991, just to show everybody that we keep track of those numbers. Um, but we do this on five holidays a year. So on St. Patrick's Day, for perhaps obvious reasons, uh, Cinco de Mayo, uh, for perhaps obvious reasons, uh, July 4th, for perhaps less obvious reasons. So that's, that's really entered into the annals of drug driving holidays. Um, in terms of this country. Um, and then um, Halloween, uh, which perhaps surprises people, but that too has become an adult drinking holiday. Um, and then whatever we can afford to do as a three-person nonprofit um, in December leading up to and including New Year's Eve. So this year we're planning on December 15th through uh, January 1st. Um, any of the evenings on any of those holidays, uh, people can avail themselves of this of this Sobride program. Um, right now, we're doing it with Lyft, so they're they're engaging the program through uh, a mobile app and a ride sharing platform and getting a free and a safe ride home. Um, we foot the bill for this program historically. Um, it's been upwards of anywhere between forty and fifty thousand dollars. I think we've done a good job of institutionalizing it. And I think people hear the name Silveride and they think, you know, it's a big faceless government behemoth behind uh, that's actually putting this on. But when in fact it's a three-person charitable organization that actually strokes the check of the size that I mentioned to keep it going. But we do that through sponsorships of a number of, of uh, folks, and it's not just uh, general traffic safety partners and businesses, but so too the alcohol industry as a whole, where we have support from Anheuser-Busch and Diageo um, and Brown Foreman and Constellation Brands and the Restaurant Association and others uh, that help us actually support this local and life-saving program. Wow, that's awesome. Um, so we have reasons to go out and celebrate with friends throughout the year, not not only during the holidays. What additional tips can you share for a safe night out? You know, I think there's a lot of things that people can do, and I think you're right to look at it that way because at the end of the day, you know, I mentioned the five holidays that we do this program, and even though, like I said, we've taken 68,000 people off the roadways, when you get down to it, that the math is that we're only offering Sobride for less than 10% of the year, uh, which means that the other 90% of the year we're trying to prevent drunk driving in the first place, and I think that's something that everybody can do. I think you hear a lot of, you know, things about designating a driver, designating a sober driver specifically, and I think that's worthy of underscoring, if just for the fact that it's, it's proven effective, it's free, it doesn't rely on government funding. Um, it will, however, it's perhaps an opportunity to underscore that when you designate a driver, that's, that's designating a sober driver. It's not the person in your group that has the least amount to drink, but indeed is a sober driver. Uh, alternative transportation, um, clearly we mentioned ride-sharing services, but there's also metro, public transportation, taxi cabs, and so forth. And then if you're hosting uh, parties, whether it be you know, never serving anyone who appears to be impaired, uh, designating a sober bartender. We talked about designating a sober driver, but designating a sober bartender. Don't let guests mix their own drinks. And then lastly, um, you know, do what uh, ballparks and stadiums do throughout the country, which is to cut off alcohol service at least an hour before the events end. Um, is a good way to, to um, ensure the safety of your guests. But two things I'll mention just um, 
to underscore things that we can do throughout the year. One is to wear your seatbelt. You hear commonly and correctly that um, wearing a seatbelt is your best defense against a drunk driver. That's true. But the real bottom line is that the routine wearing of seatbelts is, is the single most effective measure to reduce crash-related deaths and injuries. And then lastly um, is to report drunk drivers. And I know this program will, will, be here, will be heard worldwide, and so there's many ways to do that. But here in the greater Washington area, we actively encourage persons that if they suspect that they're sharing a roadway with an impaired driver, uh, we want them to follow the, the adage of see something, say something. And in the District of Columbia or Maryland, that's safely dialing 911. And in Virginia, it's safely dialing pound 77 uh, to report a drunk driver. That could be a life-saving move. Okay, it goes back to that it's everyone's responsibility. Absolutely. So, okay, great. Thank you. So I'd like to thank my guest, Officer Jeremy Smalley from the Montgomery County, uh, Maryland Police, and Kurt Erickson, President and CEO of the Washington Regional Alcohol Program, for joining us today. Kathy, this yes. is Brad. Before we let go, uh, let Kurt go. May I ask him a, a follow-up question? Sure. Okay, Kurt. Uh, those of us who work in the in the field of alcohol uh, are well accustomed to the immutable law of unintended outcomes. Uh, years ago, I was thinking of working with breathalyzers in in bars as a way of you know preventing over. Uh, overconsumption, and it was pointed out to me is that we might inadvertently be setting up competitions to see who could blow the highest score. So what I wanted to ask you is that um, for safe ride homes, uh, there's a concern that that sort of, if there's a designated driver who's not drinking at all, that that becomes basically permission for everyone else to drink to extreme. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, and I've heard that argument as well. In fact, you're absolutely right in terms of the BAC testers and bars at one point is that, you know, the unintended consequences you said is that people could get into a competition or even worse, I suppose, is that they could do a test and be at .07 and say, look, I'm below the limit. I'm perfectly okay to go. Um, and so you're right. It's the rule of unintended consequences. I think that in this scenario, uh, you know, I think we're comfortable with the fact that we spend 90% of the year trying to prevent drunk driving in the first place through uh, public education and innovative um, health education programs and advocacy. But as good as those programs might be, you still need to have some safety valve to these high-risk, high-alcohol consumption periods, which is why we do our sober rides in the holidays that they were. Because, again, as, you know, as much as I think that we're good with working with um, both Montgomery County Department of Liquor Control and Montgomery County Police in terms of the legislation that uh, Officer Smalley had mentioned about interlocks, um, and that they can be life-saving when they're applied, the fact of the matter is that people are going to unfortunately take advantage of certain times of the year. And by the way, it's not limited to that, but certainly our sober ride program is limited to that. And we just realize we've got to have a safety net. Um, and it's less the benefit, to be frank with you, about the drunk driver. It's really more the benefit of the uh, person sharing the road with them. We're, we're in a region that, that annually tabulates about 15,000 DUI arrests. I mean, that's roughly the population of, of Chevy Chase, Maryland, and Falls Church, Virginia combined. You've got to have some type of safety net to this, this horrible continuing scourge. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Kurt. When we return, we will hear again from Brad Crever and co-host Major Mark Willingham from Alcohol Solutions. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Responsible Retailing Forum is a leader in the industry, bringing together public and private stakeholders, regulatory and enforcement agencies, attorneys general, public health agencies and producers, and community leaders and researchers in order to identify and promulgate best practices for responsible retailing and engage the stakeholders in examinations of responsible retailing policies. For more information on RR Forum or its partners or how your community can get involved, please visit rrforum.org. When it comes to successful marketing, nothing speaks louder than your company name. A clear, concise, and compelling brand identity opens doors and invites further conversation. If you struggle to explain, educate, or clarify who you are and what you do, then you'll benefit from listening to Brilliant Branding with expert Phil Davis and co-host Liz Heemstra. Discover insider secrets from enlightened naming strategies to effective brand positioning. Tune in live every Thursday at noon Eastern Time 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Starting and running a business can be hard. Moving forward and keeping the excitement alive can be difficult to do. I'm Joe Hosman. If you are experiencing the struggles of opening or sustaining a business or even knowing you need a change in your life, you want to tune in to my show, Go For It. My guest and I will show you the steps needed to build something positive in your week. Listen every Thursday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Alcohol Across America. We'd love to hear from you with questions and comments about our program. Please send an email to crever at rrforum.org. That's K-R-E-V-O-R at rrforum.org. Now, back to Alcohol Across America. Welcome back to Alcohol Across America and today's examination of alcohol's impact on the community. We are joined now by co-host Mark Willingham from Alcohol Solutions. Mark, hello. Hello, Brad. Uh, Mark, tell us what happens after the DUI crash. After the DUI crash, as has been articulated earlier, we have a series of tragic events. The crash itself is a tragedy that often leads to serious injuries and deaths. The effect on the victims is tragic. The effect on the community is tragic. The effect on beverage license premises is tragic. There are no good benefits that come from what is largely uh, an avoidable situation. But in specific terms, uh, at, the, at the time that the crash occurs, law enforcement's going to respond. EMS is going to respond. There's going to be a primary care for the injured persons. But then the investigation begins, and the investigation is going to determine not only the cause of the crash and look into BAC levels and, and how that affected the driver's ability to, um, to make spatial judgments, uh, to, uh, to act uh, quickly to avoid a problem, but it's also going to do uh, a source investigation, which will look at where the drinker was what they consumed, and whether there was any liability for the uh, the server, be that a licensed premises, a social host, or even self-consumption at home. Now, you've conducted some of those investigations yourself, haven't you? Yes. Could you just share what that experience was? 
the idea behind a DUI investigation or a DWI, depending on how it's uh, how the phrase is used in your particular jurisdiction, is of course focused on a criminal prosecution. Preventing alcohol-related harms is a larger societal uh, benefit and a larger societal approach. But for the officer right there on the scene, it's uh, focused on determining whether there was a law violation, whether or not the uh, the accident was caused by uh, by the driver, and whether or not alcohol was a factor. Uh, so a breath test is a common uh, element of that, either a preliminary breath test at the scene if the state laws allow or a uh, more advanced breath test uh, once the person is into custody. Oftentimes, if they refuse to provide the breath test, uh, a blood test can be, uh, can be uh, undertaken with court order. Uh, but the idea is to determine whether or not beverage alcohol had an impact on the events that occurred leading to the injury or death. Mark, I've heard you talk about the three-legged stool as a way of responding to these these incidences. Could you describe them? Certainly. If we look conceptually at the source of alcohol, that often leads to these alcohol-related harms, these injuries, crashes, spousal abuse, suicides, whatever the cause or whatever the actual uh, instrumentality of the harm is. Research has shown that more than 50% of the time, the alcohol is served by a beverage license establishment. And so while we have to address the issues of self-service um, at home and, uh, and other locations, the alcoholic beverage industry and the, and the, the premises themselves uh, do present a, a wonderful opportunity for control of improper alcohol service leading to, uh, to intoxication. When I refer to the three-legged stool, I'm talking about a regulatory opportunity to ensure that beverage retailers do the right thing. Uh, the first leg of that stool is administrative action against the alcoholic beverage holder's license. Uh, a license is a privilege to serve alcohol, and it's vested in serving alcohol in a manner that's consistent with the public good and public safety. And so the state or the city or county that issues the license has the opportunity to issue the license. They can also sanction that license for improper alcohol service. The second leg of the stool is the criminal law enforcement system or the criminal justice system. And that primarily focuses on the impaired driver, but it can focus on the bartender or the manager, and in some jurisdictions, even on the owner of the premises when alcohol was negligently served to someone who was uh, intoxicated or leading to their intoxication. Those are the two courses of action that a governmental entity has to control and influence the behaviors of beverage retailers to ensure that they operate appropriately. But there is a third leg of that stool which gives it greater stability, and that's the use of the civil justice system. The civil justice system or a civil lawsuit can be brought against an injured party or if that, in, if that person is deceased by their uh, survivors, by their estate, 
to seek a level of restorative justice for the harm that has resulted from the improper alcohol service. But more importantly, that civil lawsuit result, which is a monetary value, uh, can deter that retailer and deter other retailers from improperly serving alcohol, leading to those alcohol-related harms. Uh, Mark has a humility that I have difficulty relating to. Uh, I've been trying to give him an opportunity to mention how many years he spent in the field doing investigations of the kind that he was describing, and that he is now an expert witness working with these civil liability issues. Uh, Mark, you're much too humble. Well, Brad, I appreciate that. But much like you and Kathy and, and our other guests today, this is a cause, this is a, uh, a commitment to preventing uh, issues that affect people all over the United States. Uh, we injure and kill a lot of people in this country in impaired driving crashes, and there are a wide range of other harms that result from improper alcohol service. And while I believe that the majority of beverage license, uh, licensees and employees want to do the right thing, sometimes they don't know how to, or it has not been emphasized to them that they need to. I spent 30 years policing, regulating, and assisting the alcoholic beverage industry uh, as a state law enforcement officer. And for the last 15 years, I have dealt with civil lawsuits as an expert witness or litigation consultant uh, where there has been an alcohol-related harm or uh, a death. The unfortunate instance is that, as you know, and Kathy and our other guests, when something bad happens involving alcohol, it generally is a very grievous situation. Um, What do you specifically do as an expert witness in a dram shop liability case? First, let me say that just because you're sued doesn't mean that you did anything wrong. And I think there are many retailers that have had lawsuits filed against them when they did everything that they reasonably could have uh, been expected to do. When I'm hired as an expert witness or a litigation consultant, and I do work for both the plaintiff and the defense, uh, because I believe that The truth will be revealed and the truth will form the basis for the jury's decision on culpability and on whatever might be an appropriate level of restorative justice. My goal is to examine the fact situation, to compare what happened in the case to the prevailing laws, to reasonable standards of care that may govern the operation of the business to see whether the beverage retailer acted reasonably under the circumstances of the event, to determine if there were things that the retailer was reasonably expected to have done which he or she failed to do, and then be able to articulate to, uh, to the jury that is hearing the matter uh, some of the issues that I believe could have been in place to have prevented the alcohol-related harm. It's, it's our system to allow the jurors to make a determination as to whether the beverage retailer acted reasonably or not. But a jury is made up of normal citizens from, uh, from our communities, and largely the jurors would not have 
the type of understanding of uh, prevailing industry practices, obligations of management involvement, uh, and some of the more technical training and policy issues that are widespread in the industry intending to prevent these uh, alcohol-related harms through alcohol uh, over-service and service to those under 21. So I look at my role as largely being someone who is hired to assist the jury interpret what they will hear from the fact witnesses in a civil lawsuit. How would a typical case play out? How would you describe it? There really is kind of a theme that runs through most of these lawsuits. It really comes down to uh, which which side of the coin the, the fact situation falls into. Either the beverage licensee does not have any policies, does not provide any training, management is not proactive in preventing alcohol-related harms, and therefore, the, the mal-service, the over-service was really going to happen, and it just happened in this particular instance and caused harm to this particular plaintiff. Or the beverage retailer does have good policies, provides training, uh, and for whatever reason, the employee sells improperly anyway. And in, largely in that second scenario, uh, it is because management doesn't continue to reinforce the message. Management is not proactive in preventing the servers from acting inappropriately. So those are the two general fact situations when the beverage licensee has, has failed to properly serve alcohol. Uh, as a result of that, uh, there can be any any range of, of judgments that the jury imposes if the jury finds the retailer uh, did not do the right thing, ranging from a few thousand dollars or tens of thousands of dollars up to uh, what I believe is one of the largest in the country, and that was uh, against the, um, uh, the football stadium in, in New Jersey, where the initial judgment was about $187 million dollars resulting from an intoxicated fan who left the stadium, ran into and killed a number of family members in a, in a car crash. Back in 2009, the Responsible Retailing Forum was holding some uh, focus groups with licensees as part of a, the early stage of a project funded by the National Institutes of Health. And we would interview people who had liquor stores, and we interviewed people who had serving establishments. And the questions we would ask included, what's the greatest challenge you face? What's the greatest threat to your business and your license? And the people who sold at retail for off-premise consumption, they said, Uniformly, it's uh, underage sales. That's what could jeopardize our license. But with the serving establishments, when I'd asked what's the challenge and how has this changed, I heard it expressed by one person in New Mexico who said, we, the licensee, are now responsible for other people's behavior. And that's really a profound change. Of course, they're glossing over that it was their behavior as licensees to serve someone too much. They're sort of cutting out their own part of it. But it's just a profound change that uh, licensees now are can be held responsible for the conduct of someone um, who everyone disapproves of getting in a car when you're intoxicated. But it's not only that driver's responsibility if he was overserved in a licensed establishment. 
that is the nature of the industry. Mm-hmm. The alcoholic beverage industry, in my view, is very unique in the United States. Uh, in most in- industries, you are you benefit as a company from selling more product, and there are very few instances where there is an increased risk of harm to others through the sale of more and more of that product. Uh, if a grocery store wants to sell Lay's potato chips or Oreo cookies, notwithstanding the chance of obesity and heart-related issues that would be long down the road, they are encouraged and they benefit financially from that. On the other hand, alcoholic beverage vendors, if they serve alcohol to excess, it causes a reduction in uh, cognitive functioning and judgment and all sorts of control mechanisms that we as human beings have that keep us on the straight and narrow. Uh, If you look at the business model uh, with which these businesses operate, they derive money from the sale of a product that will cause harm if used improperly. And servers, bartenders and servers, get paid roughly $2 an hour in salary, and they make almost all their money from tips. Tips generally come from patrons who get um, appreciate a little bit more liquor in their drink or appreciate quick replenishment or appreciate a server who doesn't tell them they've had too much to drink or doesn't refuse to serve them an additional drink. So we have a, a situation where society looks at beverage retailers and says, you have to do the right thing. Laws are in place telling retailers you have to do the right thing. Uh, Civil lawsuits are hanging over their head saying you have to do the right thing. But their business model and the way in which they make money is conditioned on the sale of more and more alcohol. And it certainly is a different type of animal. And many people who get into the industry do so without really appreciating this uh, type of unique situation. Thank you, Mark. And thank you, Kathy and and her two guests for this look at how too much alcohol impacts the customer, the licensee and the community. Our next broadcast will feature co-host Charles Curry and his guest, Dr. Monica Gurevich, to explore some of the impacts of alcohol upon health, positive as well as negative. This is Brad Crever thanking you for joining us on Alcohol Across America. Thank you for joining us this week for Alcohol Across America. Please join Dr. Brad Crever and another weekly guest expert next Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until our next program, be safe and have a great week.